My name's Tim. I'm the campus pastor here. One church, three locations, Norwood, North Attleboro, and Easton, Massachusetts. And with that in mind, we want to say welcome to our Easton campus watching this message by video. Everybody here in the North Attleboro campus, let's welcome them in with a good clap. Amen, Easton. Now, just so you know, it's been three weeks since we welcomed them because they had Don, Pastor Don, preached now for three weeks and or four weeks, and so we didn't actually do I Love My Church for them. But we're going to welcome them in today to the best life ever. If you have a Bible today, go with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 in your Bible. I read from the ESV. If you have the ESV today, that's where I'm reading from. Help you keep on track with where I am in the scriptures. But today we start a series called Best Life Ever. I said last week this series is about finances. And I want to be clear, I'm not going to make the point that more finances equals a better or best life. I am going to make the point that everything that we have comes from God. He wants you to live your best life ever, and you've got to follow his principles, pass the test, and do what he says with what he gives you. And when you do that, I guarantee you the Bible is true, the Bible is sure, you will live your best life ever when you follow his principles. So that's what today is about. We're starting this series with that in mind. And so this is a money series because money is a big issue. It was a big issue in Jesus' day. And the reason why we know that is because 37% of Jesus' teaching was about money. 37%. In fact, it's funny. People say that they don't like it when the preacher talks about money, and they don't like it when the preacher talks about hell. Those are kind of like the two taboo topics you can't talk about in church. Did you know that 65% of what Jesus spoke about concerned money and hell? Those two topics dominated his theology, dominated his teaching. 16 out of his 38 parables were about money Over and over again, he talks about hell, and he talks about to us to handle our money with the end in mind. Secondly, money is a big issue today. We're seeing a recession that seems like it's going on, what, 
14 years now. I mean, it's a long recession. It doesn't seem like there's any end in sight. And people are wondering, what do I do now? We've kind of been rocked financially, looking for recovery. What do I do now? I love what Andy Stanley said. Andy Stanley is a pastor in a church in Alpharetta, Georgia, North Point, big, big church. And he said these words, any economic recovery begins with me, not they. Any economic recovery begins with me, not they. So here's what I want to say. It does us no good to blame the president. It does us no good to blame the last president. It does us no good to blame Congress. It does us no good to sit and blame Wall Street. I'm not saying that they're innocent. What I am saying is any economic recovery doesn't begin with them. It begins with you. And I believe for every child of God, you can live a prosperous, blessed best life ever in any economy when you trust the principles that God has laid down in his word. Can I get an amen? amen? And then there's this buzzword now, buzzing about in Wall Street. What's the signs reading? What are people talking about? What's the problem with Wall Street? Big five-letter word. What is it? Greed. Greed. Greed's the problem. Blame Wall Street, Wall Street greed. Blame people, those CEOs, they're greed. Yeah, I would agree, but I would also submit to you that greed might not just be their problem, it might be our problem. In fact, that's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bible open in verse 15, I'm going to read it from the NIV, then we're going to get into the passage in the ESV. But in, in the NIV, verse 15, it reads like this on, on the screen for you. It says, watch out. Somebody say, watch out. Be on your guard. So this is really building up momentum here. Something important is following these statements. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I want to lay a foundation for you today. At its root, greed is a major problem that begins with a lack of perspective. Four statements I want to make about greed, and then we'll get into the parable Jesus shares. Number one, greed is hard to see in me. Greed is hard to see in me. Some of you have already checked out on this message. You're like, I don't struggle with greed. Are you sure? Because Jesus is clear. Watch out. This thing sneaks up on you. It's not clear. You're not going to have uh, to do A, B, and C, X, Y, and Z to say, yes, now I struggle with greed. So watch out. Be on your guard. Just when you think you're not doing it, you could very possibly be doing it. Be on your guard. This is what makes greed different from every other sin. Every other sin, you know you're doing it. You lie. You know you're lying. You steal. You know you're stealing. You commit adultery. You know you're committing. Nobody ever says, whoa, wait a second. You're not my wife. And nobody ever does that with the don't. We, we commit those sins because, and we know, and we know they're, they're, we're committing them. Greed is silent. Greed is undercover. And so Jesus says, watch out. Greed is hard to see in me. Number two, greed is multifaceted. Greed is multifaceted. Jesus said, be on your guard against all, what? All kinds of greed. Greed is not always wanting more money. Sometimes greed is just wanting more power. 
Sometimes greed is just wanting more attention. Sometimes greed is just wanting your brother to do less than you. Why do you work so hard? Is it, is it really because you love your job or is it because you just want to outperform your brother who you've had this, you know, this competitive spirit with your entire life? Can I tell you, that's greed. Greed cannot just be about your finances. It can be about where you live. I need to have the house in the right neighborhood, and I need to have four bedrooms and three baths, and, and I need to have that green grass, and I need to have that BMW parked in the driveway, and I need to have, and I need to have. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that if it's a have to, and your life is meaningless without it, I would submit, I would submit you might be struggling with greed. You can have a greed for power, a greed for fame, a greed for attention. Um, we can have an entitlement mentality with greed. In fact, I would submit to you today that the big problem right now in our generation and in our culture is this entitlement mentality. I deserve it. I should have it. I should be better off than I currently am. On what basis are we making that assumption? It's entitlement. It's, it's this generation that we have raised up. We handed them iPods at age six. We bought them cars as soon as they got their license. And guess what? Now they're rallying about Wall Street because nobody's handing them anything anymore. You know what I think this is? I think it's a big, fat, generational temper tantrum. It is. Because we did, we raised up a generation of kids. Everybody wins the soccer game. Right? No, there's no losers. No, you didn't fail the test. You just have to do it over. I know you've done it 15 times. Just do it over again. No, 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 there's no failures. You're not bad. There's nothing wrong with you. You just need better education. You just need better stuff. You just need more things. And the entitlement mentality has entered into our generation. And so now they enter into the real world. Nobody's handing them anything anymore. What are they going to do? They're going to throw a temper tantrum. I'm not saying they're evil and Wall Street's good. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying that it's all greed. It's all greed. Greed is multifaceted. It's hard to see. It's multifaceted. Number three. Greed is gross sin. At the end of the day, it's gross. Somebody say greed is gross. It's a gross sin. Listen to the list of sins that Paul puts greed with. In Colossians 3 verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. See the list it's with? Sexual morality, that's a big one. We tend to think, yeah, sexual morality, way up here. Greed, not so much. It's the same. It's gross sin. Look at this, look at this passage in verse uh, 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who calls himself a believer and if he is guilty of sexual morality or greed or is an idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler with with one do not even eat. I mean, he's being very clear. This is not like some kind of B-grade sin or, or C-grade sin. This is gross sin. Number four. Number four. Greed has nothing to do with the amount of money you make. It really doesn't. You can be, you can be poor and greedy at the same time. It's not as much fun, but you can do it. 
The Bible says that God makes rich and he makes poor. 1 Samuel 2.7, he makes poor, he makes rich, he brings low, he exalts. Proverbs 10.22, listen to this, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he has no sorrow to it. I want you to be clear this morning with you. I want to tell you, I am not telling you give everything away. I'm not telling you don't make money. I'm not telling you have ambition. What I, I think that God wants to bless you. I believe he wants to bless you because he loves you. But he wants to know, when I bless you, will you be able to handle the blessings I give to you? Will you manage them properly or will you hold on to them with greed and let those things dominate your mind and your heart to the detriment of your eternal soul. The end of the day, the problem with greed is a perspective problem. And so today, this is what I'm talking about to lay a foundation for the series. In order to conquer greed, in order to get the right mentality around our money, we need a proper perspective. We need a proper perspective. It says this, one's life, Jesus says, One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I want you to say that with me together, the, the, the phrase that Jesus uses here. Ready? One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now I want you to personalize it. I want you to say my life. Ready? My life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. Do we believe that? The word Jesus uses here in the Greek is zoe. There were two Greek words for life. Bia, which just means air in your lungs and blood in your veins. That's general life. The second one is zoe, which means the quality of your life. The entire experience of your life. That your life is not, your, the quality of your life, Jesus is saying, how you live is not based on how much you make. It's not based on where you live. You, you think that because you have adopted the mindset of the culture that says this will make you happy, that will satisfy you, that will make your life real, and it's a lie from the pit. You can live according to Jesus. You can live a very full life without a lot of money. And it's so important that we get this because our perspectives are off. And so to kind of realign us, with God's will and God's life, Jesus shares a parable, as he always does. So let's look together at Luke 12, verse 16. Here's what Jesus says. The land of a rich man produced, what's the next word? Produced plentifully. Okay, he's rich. Jesus doesn't say that's a problem. He says that's fine, he's rich. In fact, it's fine, he's rich, and he was blessed. Again, I want to make clear, I am not saying it's wrong to be wealthy. In fact, I pray that all of you are exceedingly blessed financially in God. I, I, bless, I, I pray that God's blessing pours out in your life, that you're, you make more money than you ever made before, that, that God pours out financial blessings in your life. And evidently, I'm the only one who hopes for that for you. Okay? Your loss. <laughs> I, I hope that for you. I do, because God... He wants to bless us. And, and Jesus doesn't say, well, there's a problem here. He's rich. And, and isn't that awful? Listen, money is not immoral. Money is amoral. With money, you can fund a terrorist or you can fund a missionary. It's all in how you use it. It's all in how you use it. Verse 17. And he thought to himself, okay, he's been blessed. His land has produced plentifully. And now he thinks to himself, and listen to what it says, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. 
I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, this is kind of funny, soul, he was talking to himself, might as well call himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. In these three verses, this guy refers to himself 14 times. 14 times he refers to himself in three verses. Jesus is making a point. Wealth has the ability to isolate us from community. It has the ability to get us all closed off to everybody around us and to make us live very small, divided, separatist kind of lifestyles where we don't let anybody in and nobody really feels close to us because we, we make a lot of money now. And, and how many of you maybe, you know a friend who, when, when you guys had the same level pay, you were tight and, and you were close and, and there was community there, but, but they got a huge promotion or they doubled their salary and suddenly now they're like elite status and, and you don't know if there's that community with them anymore. That's the power of wealth. This guy looks at his life and he says, I, I, I know what I'll do. I, I, I will. I, I'll build. I'll tear down. I'll I'll store, I'll, I will, I will, I will, and I will say to myself, and he's even talking to himself about all of his blessings in life. And that's the power that money can have with you and with I. And you say, well, that's why I'm so glad that I'm not wealthy. Hold a second. 70% of the world's wealth is in the United States of America. 70%. 2.4 billion people on planet Earth live on less than $2 a day. That's an iced coffee for you and I. $2 a day. The top um, uh, uh, middle class American is in the top 30% of the world's wealth. The top 30 of the 70% of the world's wealth. If you are a middle class American, guess what? You are in the top 2% of the richest people on this planet. I am talking to very rich people here this morning. Don't you feel better about yourself? Feel happier about your life? And if we are not careful, and, and we already see it, because we, we do live these individualistic lives, do we not? I, I mean, we just kind of like close, off, close ourselves off with our money. It's so easy, it's so natural, it's so accepted today to just kind of isolate yourself. This is the, 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 the generation that we're living in because we can just kind of like lock ourselves in our rooms with our smartphones or our computers, buy online, chat online, uh, do social community online, Facebook update my status online. I can invite you to my kid's birthday party online. You don't even have to show up. You can just send me a birthday card through the online you know, method to just kind of give me one of, those, one of those things I just bring my smartphone to and, and I can pay for something there so you don't even have to come just just like the fact that i'm having a party for my son it's just isolate 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 that's the power of wealth this guy he's a kingdom unto himself i will say to myself i will look at myself i will build for myself and then i will say myself be happy aiming at the wrong thing isolated because of his money I like to say that, that, that we are living in a generation that is very much like this man. I kind of want to illustrate this today. Um, I want to use this rope for a second. I want to show you something that, that I saw Francis Chan, one of my favorite preachers, uh, share at his church. 
I want you to imagine that this rope is your life, okay? And the Bible says that our lives are eternal. We don't just die and that's it. We go on. The soul goes on, even either heaven or hell. And so I want you to imagine that this rope represents the length of your life. Now, you've got to do some imagination with me and just pretend that this rope, which is 50 feet long, just pretend that it goes on and on and on forever. It's just unending, much like your life. Now, I've taped the first two inches of this rope red to symbolize this red piece of tape on this rope is the amount of time you are spending on this earth. The 70 to 90 years of life, if you're lucky, that God grants you here. And when you die, you cross from red to white and you enter into this reality. Are we tracking with this? And then you have this reality, and then it goes on, and it never stops. And here's the fatal mistake we all make. We obsess about this little red dot, this blip, this segment of our life, and we worry about it, and we stress about it, and we freak out about it, and we want to make this part of our rope absolutely fantastic, unfortunately forgetting that there's a whole lot of rope left. Some people are so foolish, they spend this little middle section of the rope hoping and praying and working and saving to make sure that this little half centimeter here at the end is going to be good. (laughs) Will I have enough money? Will I be able to travel? Will I be able to move to Florida? Will I be able to have a golf game? I just got to make sure, I just got to make sure that 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 blessed last half centimeter is going to be good. We angst ourselves and we get so upset and we get so worried and we get so obsessed with this. Always forgetting that this ends and this begins. This is why I think that most Americans are stupid. I'm sorry, there's just no other way. Jesus is going to say it in just a minute. He's He's about to tell us that we're stupid. He is. This is what we are. We are investing all of our efforts into this when we forget that this comes later. You've got a future in heaven and eternity ahead of you. Don't you understand? It's coming. And you can make this better. Did you know that? If you couldn't, Jesus never would have said, don't store up here. Don't, 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 don't store up treasures here. Because this ends. It's over. It's done. Put your treasure here. Where, where nobody can steal. Nobody can rob you. Thieves and rust can't destroy this. Moths can't get in. How many of you love moths? I hate moths. Always showing up when you don't want them to. Jesus says, that's what happens here, but here, that doesn't happen. Hallelujah, there's no moths in heaven. No rust in heaven. No thieves in heaven. Get some perspective. I plead with you, Waters Church. I'm not talking to the person who you wish was here this morning. I'm talking to you. Get some perspective about your life. Because Jesus says, the sum of your life is not what's here. You have an eternity to look forward to. Are you obsessing about now? 
making all your efforts go into right here, right now, when you've got a promise from God? This guy sits back in his life and he looks and he says, and I will do all this, verse 19, and I'll say to my soul, soul, whew, you've got it good. You've done it. You've succeeded. Eat, drink, be merry. This verse, 19, the saddest verse in the chapter. Saddest verse. Why? Because he's done it, right? He's, he's done everything that we're taught all of our lives to do. Make a life for yourself, retire well, have plenty, and be satisfied. We've been taught that. We've been raised to believe that. We've been educated about that. We've seen commercials about that. And he's done it. And here's why it's so sad. Who's there to share it with him? No one. He's got to talk to himself. Say to myself, self, you're good. Pouring the wine, sitting up, kicking back, enjoying the fire. And he's only by himself. That's the deceitfulness of riches. That's the deceitfulness of wealth. That's what happens when we invest in the red section of our rope. In the message translation, verse, nine reads like, verse 19 reads like this. Look what it says. It's on the screen. And I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made, and you can now retire, take it easy, and have the time of your life. Have the time of your life. Now, Jesus does something very interesting in verse 19 and verse 20. Here's what he does. He uses two Greek words that are a play, of, play on words. Okay, and the, the, the first word is the word for be merry in verse 19. That this man looks at himself and he says, eat, drink, be merry. The Greek word for be merry is euphreno. Euphreno. It's a two-part word in the Greek. Eu, meaning to make great, E-U. Phreno, meaning your diaphragm. Your, the, the, we actually get the word diaphragm from the Greek word phreno. Okay? And so he's saying to himself, um, eat, drink, and euphreno. In other words, make your diaphragm great. It's, it's what we all do when we have just finished a nice, filling, Italian meal. And we sit back and we go, that's so good, amitabola. Right? That's what we do. We just, whoo, that was good. Euphreno. It, we get the word euphoria from euphreno. Jesus then plays on words here, and he goes to verse 20. But God said to him, fool. I told you God was gonna call, Jesus was going to call us stupid. Fool. The word here in Greek is afreno, meaning negative. The, the, the prefix in the Greek, ah, meaning negates, not freno, meaning expanded. So everything that he thought was so full suddenly has become empty. It's the same experience that you get when you hear that your puppy has been run over. And the wind has been knocked out of you, and you suddenly can't breathe. You've heard horrible news. That's exactly what's happened to this man in verse 20. He says, you fool. You think you're full, but you're empty. You think you've got it going on, but you've got nothing. Look what it says in verse 20. This night, tonight your soul is required of you. It's required, meaning there's a loan on your life. Hear me, Waters Church. You think it's your life. It's not your life. Your life is given to you on loan from Almighty God. And someday all of us are going to have to give an account for our life. Jesus says it's over. You're being stupid. Investing. 
in the red. The 70 to 90 years that God gives you when you've got an eternity looking forward, uh, looking at you. And then he says this, the things that you have prepared, the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? And, so it, and then this verse 21, I don't, I don't want you to miss verse 21 because this just kind of brings us all in on the story. Make sure that you understand this is about you and me. So it is with one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So it is with the guy who just wants to make sure he has plenty for himself. The girl who wants to make sure she's wearing the most stylish stuff. The person who wants to make sure they're driving the best SUV. The person who's making sure that their life is an envy of all others, but they're not rich toward God. The problem is not having, the problem is holding. The problem is not gaining, the problem is not giving. That you are not made to just soak it all in as a reservoir. You are made to be a river through which the blessing of God comes into you so that it can go out of you and many, many, many people can be blessed because of you. So how are you doing with that? Thank you. How are you doing with that? Are you making the investments that matters? Because let me be really, really, really serious for a minute. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to anyone. And you're sitting and you're saying, well, I know, but I'm young, but I'm this, but I'm that. I was preaching in Norwood two months ago. I think I shared this with Second Service. I didn't share with the other services, but I, I've been sharing it all week, and I want to share it with you. Two months ago, I was preaching in Norwood. There's a guy sitting right over here. At the end of the service, I said, come forward. Give your life to Jesus. He got out of his seat. He came forward. He accepted Christ right here up in the Norwood campus. Two weeks later, we have the... Um, church picnic, and the base, the softball coach who had brought him to church, he was my softball coach, our softball team, came up to me and said, I got to tell you what happened. I brought my landlord to church two weeks ago. He invited Jesus into his heart. The very next Sunday, he had a massive stroke and died. But he's saved. He found Jesus at the last moment. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to you and i i would just suggest that it's just not about getting here it's about investing here it's about making this part better than you ever thought it could possibly be that jesus looks at us on earth and he says you foolish americans you worry about ipods and suvs and retirement accounts you worry about real estate markets. You worry about stocks and bonds and treasuries and all this stuff that's only two inches long of your life. You've given up on this. It's a message for the church. Make the investment in what matters. Because one day, the wind is going to get knocked out of all of us. One final And then what? I want you to stand with me.